The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday going into Tuesday. We have a guest today who I met on Twitter. His name is Justin. You can find him over at Twitter at TNK underscore alone or just look at tnk alone and you'll find him fascinating person i spoke with him about an hour uh, a few days ago to talk about uh, what we discuss here on the show he had a past career in law enforcement working for a sheriff's department he's out in western colorado involved with ranching knows about farming uh, has a friend actually who has a cloud seeding machine, which is quite interesting. He said he doesn't know a lot about it, but I'm going to ask him because I find that to be fascinating. Many of us have researched chemtrails and cloud seeding and all that type of stuff over the years. So it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, I will update you guys tomorrow when I have the show with Wide Awake Jim on some of the stuff I've been doing around here at home, some of the experiences that I've had over the last few days that have been uh, mind-blowing really so let's jump right in to this conversation with justin justin how are you doing today sir i'm doing good how are you how are you i'm doing great so uh we just talked for a few minutes before the show i was trying to warm you up actually it's a little uh little secret here to the uh to the trade so yeah i wanted to get into this that's good I'm sorry, what's that, sir? I say that's good. You need to warm me up. It's cold out here. <laughs> yes. I'm serious. I've been talking to a lot of a lot of guests lately. I'm trying to bring more, more people on from uh, pain.tv slash gold, the platform I'm on. I met people on Twitter like yourself. Actually, I think you were the one that uh, tagged me and referred me to Coach Saji, the healing doc, who I had on the show. So thank you very much for that. And then there's some other people that you said, hey, these guys would make great guests that I've reached out to and I'm in contact with now. So I appreciate that. As I mentioned, we talked the other day for, for about an hour. And um, you, you called yourself, as I did, which is great, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago, we called ourselves ultra conservatives. And then I had just asked you more than for the show what you, what you would call yourself now. You said, I don't really like to put labels on myself, but I would have to say an anarchist. So why don't you talk a little bit about... Um, about how you came to call yourself an ultra conservative back then and a little bit about your former career in law enforcement. Sure. Well, growing up here in Western Colorado, oh, I'm about an hour away from um, Grand Junction. Um, my dad was a rancher, ranch manager. Um, and so I was my fam- I'm fourth generation here in the Plateau Valley. 
And so that's pretty much what I did. I hated it, I, but I grew up in it. I knew how to do it. I could do it. And my dad and I did not get along growing up. But um, anyway, that being said, that's what I grew up in doing. And very conservative country. Um, Ronald Reagan was huge when I was a kid out here. Um, mom and dad always watched all that stuff. You know, there was no Fox News or anything like that. We had three, three or four channels on TV. But so I was raised in that in a very conservative um, setting, you know, ranching, um, it's very small knit community. Um, and then I, when I got out of high school, kind of rabbit trail a little bit, when I got out of high school, I went completely off the rails. I actually <laughs> was in a, I grew my hair long, had earrings, was in a heavy metal <laughs> band for about two years. And that all fell apart. I ended up in jail for having a warrant for a car accident I had with no insurance and uh, moved back in with my folks. Um, got a job up here at the ski resort for a while and then kind of just turned my life around and God decided I wanted to get into law enforcement. And so I worked for the Eagle County Sheriff's Office um, where Vail is for just uh, two months shy of 13 years. I did that job. Okay. Hey, before you continue, Justin, I just wanted to bring this up. One, the Reagan thing, you know, it's interesting because I was actually born the day before Ronald Reagan was sworn in January 19th, 1981. It was the day that the hostages were being released by Iran, which I found out mm -hmm. during, a. A little project I had to do, I don't know, in sixth or seventh grade or something where you had to look up microfiche and figure out what happened on the day you were born. So, uh, yeah, so I was born oh, okay, the day right. before the day before Reagan was sworn in. And then you bring up the uh, long hair and the earrings. Uh, you know, you got into law enforcement. My father was a cop and then has been a private investigator pretty much my whole life. So I, I was always rebelling against uh, against my father when I was a kid. And, and I was a mix between sort of a right brain, left brain, and then sort of a conservative and a liberal because my mom was more on the art side. My father was more the cop jock. So I was a blend of the two. So I was varsity basketball player in freshman year, but I looked like Marilyn Manson. And so I had a rock band. I had a rock band as well. I uh, went out and I would say, I, I've been honest with the folks here on the show, I went out, I experimented with, uh, with many substances over the years. I ended up going to college, uh, art college, but for industrial design. It was about 20 years old. I finally decided to leave all that stuff behind. But um, I, I think uh -huh. for me, if I didn't do all that, and I didn't experience all that craziness when I was, was younger, I don't think I would have grown into what, uh, what I am, am today. You know, I, I think that's, that's just part of my journey. I hear you completely. It's that's too too similar. That's that's uncanny, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, people it's, people it's, wouldn't believe yeah, it if they the saw photographs. Of, yeah, people people wouldn't believe it if they saw photographs of me uh, back in high school. Uh, hopefully, those are not on <laughs> Facebook. I hope nobody has posted those. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got some, and what's funny is after I got into law enforcement, somehow, some way, we were at a some kind of a meeting, and had the sheriff had oh pictures and stuff, and somehow he showed a picture of me when I was on stage. I had my Lakers jersey on, black pants, long blonde hair, up on stage playing bass, and 
I'm like, how in the flip did this guy end up with this picture? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knew who it was, you know. But <laughs> yeah, when I when I was uh, about yeah. twenty, I think I was about. 23 or 24 i had gone to college in philadelphia and i ended up going back to connecticut where i was from uh, i was working for this company as a commercial artist and then i started my own marketing design firm and then somewhere in there i don't know why i got the urge i i think it was when i started to become uh, more interested in politics and started to become more conservative i had this urge to want to be a police officer and all my father's buddies are all uh were cops or retired cops or ex-cops and then pis and worked as investigators for insurance companies and such and all of his friends sons that i grew up with were all becoming cops and i said you know i'm gonna do this so i started training with a friend of mine working out at the gym and yeah, I'd cut my hair. I was ready to be a cop. My father, who had battled the city of New Haven, Connecticut, when he was a cop and battled the union and got all, all these political bro. My father said to me, listen, you are not cut out to take orders from other people. I was not. You have my DNA. Don't waste your time with this because you're going to go into it. And three days later, you're going to get in a fight with all these people. It's not worth it. And so it lasted about six months. And then when I was ready to go take the test, I said, you know what? I think he's right. I better not go down this path. <laughs> right. <laughs> of, yeah, course I would have been, of course, I would have been looking at retirement. I was going to say, of course, I would have been. Of course, I would have been looking at retirement, you know, within the next couple of years, uh, <laughs> if I if I did go down right. that path. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got into it because of because of a girl, and it turned out she turned out to be my wife. She's a she's a teacher, and she was a school teacher at that time, and you know, had a career, and and I was a security guard at this local ski resort up here, and I'm like. I can't ask her to marry me if I don't have a career because security guard at a small ski resort is not going to cut it. And I'd already went to college five years after I, four years after I graduated, I went to um, college down here in Grand Junction for a semester and played football. I, cause I, was, I played varsity all four years in high school and I'd, I'd had scholarships for track and football when I graduated and I blew them off to get into to be a rock star. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so then I was like, I got to do this. And so I, when I went to college, I was like, I tried political science and I'm like, I just, I couldn't stomach it. It was mind numbing. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, I, so I was like, I can, I can be a cop. And I, and I, growing up here in, you know, Col in the Colburn area, growing up, we had a marshal, um, Marshall Dillon, we call him to these, these days. And he's, he's retired. He was just just salt of the, he is a salt of the earth kind of guy. And I went and met with him and I'm like, you know, I'm thinking about getting into this career, you know, and he was a Lieutenant of investigations at that time. And he went and looked at my record and he said, no, there's nothing in there that'll that keep you from doing the job. And so that's how I got into it. But yeah, it was, and then ended up marrying my wife, but yeah, that I just had to, I'm like, I got to have a career. I can't get married without having a career. <laughs> so what, so how old were you when you became a deputy sheriff? 23 23 okay and then and then i think you had mentioned yeah. you had done that for about 13 years yes yep and so yeah, you I had mentioned for... yeah you had mentioned when we talked on the phone just some of the experiences you had and the sheriff you you worked for 
Uh, and, and, and like a lot of people, I think, over the last few years, I, I think it grew out of um, really the latest exposure to the Second Amendment issues, which was all around that. I think it was a January um, Second Amendment march in Virginia. I was producing for an Army veteran named Douglas Dakota at the time, so we did a lot of live streaming from that uh, march. But I think that was the beginning of when people saw that the sheriffs uh, were actually stepping outside of what was the traditional uh, political arm. They were creating all those uh, Second Amendment you know, constitution zones. So I was, I was kind of talking to you about that. Like, what was your experience working for the sheriff? Did you find it better than folks that you knew that were police officers working for a police chief who was a political appointee versus a sheriff that's elected? Oh, absolutely. The, especially the sheriff that I had. I mean, he he hired us in his, I, I think I told you, but, you know, we had to have a, a yearly evaluation where you'd have to sit down with the sheriff and he'd go over everything over the last year with you and we'd had a couple sergeants had left the department and we only had three sergeants and people were starting to get you know uh frustrated that there was no way to climb up in you know authority or you know to advance your career and i remember talking to him and saying you know why you know i think you ought to promote people to sergeant and so on and so forth and he would listen to me and he listened to everybody and he after i'd expressed myself and told him he said well i appreciate that now here's how you're wrong and he proceeded to say i spare no expense on the training for you guys you have all the best equipment that that is out there and that's a fact the the budget for just the sheriff's office in 97 was over 14 million which is more than most counties so we had all the training we wanted if we wanted training he sent it to us or sent us to it and he said i remember him saying you know i i hire intelligent people and I, 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 when I lay my head down on my pillow to go to sleep at night, I know that you're out there and you can handle everything and you can read my policies and procedures. You know the law. And if you don't know the law, the book's right there. You can look it up. If you have any questions, you can call me at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't care. You know my number. He said, I don't need you to have somebody interpreting this stuff to you. You can read it and you can understand it. And I walked out of that meeting going, how can you argue with a guy that that has absolute trust in you. At least he expresses absolute trust that you can think for yourself and do the job. And that was kind of a turning point, one of the turning points in my life of, you know, thinking. You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but like when I was a kid, I couldn't care less about science. If it worked, it worked. I didn't care how it worked. You know, but so he, he and we had, he was very much one to encourage people to think outside the box. And there was guys that I worked with that, they didn't even know there was a box. And then there was other guys that couldn't think outside the box because their life was completely framed and built up within the box. And you don't step outside that, you know, I mean, we all know those kind of people and that's kind of what that, like with the COVID deal. I mean, people don't step outside the box. If the government says you got to get the vaccine vaccination, they do it. There, there's no question. They don't know their rights, you know? So to have that a bit, to have somebody help you and foster your thinking to think for yourself, to critically think, that, that was that was big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is so what was it? Um, now, did you start to consider yourself or label yourself, you know, conservative or ultra conservative uh, during the years that you were working for the uh, sheriff's department, or you had you reached that stage by age twenty three? I was I I knew. Well, I say I was raised very very 
and a Christian family too. So, you know, that all goes in with that all together. I mean, you know, usually you can't have, you can't be a Christian and not be conservative, at least out here. And so, I mean, that, that was just my whole life. Even when I went off the rails, I always, I just never did identify as anything other than a conservative. I mean, you know, in, you know, in the 1990s, that was unheard of. I'm sure there was nobody else like that, you know, but so it never really kind of grew. It just, it just, that's the way I was raised. And I mean, I remember being in my patrol car and listening to Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, you know, the whole political thing. And I remember, I'd get home at the end of shift and I'm like, just worn out, not because necessarily the work, which is a stressful job mentally, but just getting worked up on all the crap. And after a while, I'm like, I have to stop listening to this crap. I really, and I did, I stopped listening to all that talk radio and I did. My stress level went down. I'm like, it's just, it was kind of, you know, I mean, I remember the day that Obama got sworn into office. You know, I just, it was a black day. I knew the, the world was coming to an end. It, it, it was not going to make it to sundown, you know, <laughs> that kind of feeling. But <laughs> no, it was just, that's just how I, how I was raised and how I always identified just as, as a conservative, you know, all that kind of, just that whole gamut of things. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I was involved with local politics in Connecticut at the time. I had built up an organization there called Community Watchdog Project, and I used to be on the radio and local news. I was really battling this uh, corrupt, entrenched Democrat mayor in the city of New Haven, and then this group that we had formed, I had uh, different co-founders, and we ended up sparking a lot of investigations in the state legislature. It was a, it was a pretty effective organization, but the day that Obama was elected, I said, all right, this is it. I'm stepping back. Because I had really spent two years, uh, you know, in media and battling and fighting. I wasn't making a living, and I had basically destroyed my marketing and web design business because all my clients in Connecticut were liberal or self-identified as liberal and they would see me on tv and they're like right. we can't we can't work with you anymore and so uh when obama got right. elected the tea party was starting to come to fruition and i said to all of our we had about 1300 members and i said listen go get involved with this tea party thing i've got to get back to my life i think i was 28 at the time southern poverty law center had labeled me in the top 20 nativists which was the way they would call you a racist basically back then and I'm like, oh my God, what did I do to myself? I've got to like turn my life around and get back to work. And so, uh, right. and so Obama really pushed me out of politics. Um, you know, that, that was the first time around. But a year later, I had formed this corporate entertainment business and started developing and managing political impersonators for corporate events. So a year after I got out of politics, I had a Barack Obama, a Bill Clinton, a Sarah Palin, uh, all these different political characters I was renting out for uh, corporate parties and stuff like that. So I got back into politics, but sort of through a fun angle. It was actually a great time to see a bunch of people with smiles on their face at an after-dinner um, show that we'd, we would put on or at a trade show over an issue like politics where people would normally want to kill each other. So it was actually a, a fun, fun right. business to get involved with. So you had mentioned to me on the phone, somewhere along the way, when you made the decision to leave law enforcement, do you kind of look back on that time as uh something that you i think you said you weren't necessarily so proud of it why was why was that considering you seem to work for a sheriff who 
who kind of got it, or at least was was not as bad as uh, many of these police chiefs you see out there. Yeah, it it's been a process that over the last well, I left in January of 2010 to start my own business, training horses, and so since 2010, it's been just one one layer of the onion getting pulled back constantly, but. The last five years for me have really been life changing um, in my journey, um, and it wasn't until I really came across. Well, initially, when I was still there, I—that's the thing I'm ashamed to admit. And most, unfortunately, most cops don't know the Constitution. We don't—you don't read it. It's just that's the only oath you take is to uphold the state constitution and the national constitution. There's nothing about upholding laws, nothing about enforcing laws. It's only about upholding the Constitution. But it's never discussed. I mean, you deal with the Fourth Amendment. You know, you deal with Colorado's, like I say, it's a very, well, at that time, it was a very conservative state. So you knew everybody had a gun. Everybody. You just assumed everybody had a gun. Didn't worry about it. It's not a concern. That's just life. You know, everybody's got one. But you see that stuff changing, and we were doing things initially. Well, when I was early on there, um, the county judge at the time had us, when we would um, make a domestic violence arrest, part of the questioning we would be there is you would, after you would make the arrest, and more often than not, you're arresting the guy. That's just kind of the way it was. We were trained and taught to investigate we handle our own cases we were our own investigators for the most part because it was a smaller department you know less than 40 40 mm-hmm. road cops but we were trained to do all of our own investigation our own interrogation and you wanted to make sure you were arresting the right person so after the state i think it was the state changed some laws where and see colorado domestic violence is a shallow arrest there's there's no ifs ands or buts somebody's going to jail if there is a if there's evidence of a crime so we started end up because of the way the evidence went, because we were encouraged to investigate on our own. A lot more women started going to jail. Well, the liberals didn't really appreciate that and they didn't understand why that was. And, but anyway, when we were, we were going into the house, we were invest, we would continue to ask questions. One of the questions we were supposed to ask was, are there any weapons in the house? And if they said yes, and generally this was after you'd already arrested the, the male or the, oh. and yeah, generally the male. And you'd ask the female, well, there are any guns in the house? Well, yeah, there are. Well, where are they at? So you'd ask, and they're just, they're, they're blindly answering these questions. And then we would take the guns into custody, put them into safekeeping. And after a while, you start to realize this is wrong. This, we are absolutely boldly violating people's Second Amendment right. Mm-hmm. This has, and this, if this was a slap or a punch or something else, there's no weapon involved, no gun involved. We have no right, none to take those weapons, but we were. And then we finally, we, that changed. But I started recognizing and realizing after looking at the Constitution, at least 95% of the laws on the books blatantly violate the Constitution. Violate it. They, they're, mm-hmm. they're completely perverted. And we're out there enforcing it. And I could not, I just couldn't let myself do it anymore. I'm like, I can't do this. So that's where I, and I was really enjoying working on our place. We have a small five acre place and I was really enjoying working on the land and doing what I was raised doing. 
And so I was like, I got to get out. I knew when I got into law enforcement, it was not a career that I was going to do the rest of my life. I've just, I've done a variety of things. While I was a deputy, I got in in 1998. I, I'm the person that if, if somebody says you can't do that, I will not think twice about it. There's no thought. I just do it. And my sister-in-law said, you know, I was at a friend that asked me, we were doing the law enforcement torch run. And he asked me, he said, Hey, you ever fight bulls? And I'm like, no. He goes, well, I go up to, up to this, this practice bull, um, bull riding practice pen every Wednesday night. You want to go? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I was raised ranching, but I thought rodeo cowboys were just, you know, wusses. It's just, it's all, <laughs> it's not for me. Literally the first time a bull hooked me. And, and this is, I mean, this is a rodeo. This is bulls. The first one, time one hooked me, I was like, this is awesome. You know, I mean, I'm getting thrown through the air and I'm like, oh God, this is, this is a kill. This is, this is for me. So that turned into a, a 12 year professional career while I was a cop being in the PRC and the PBR as a, as a bullfighter, rodeo clown. I just didn't do the jokes. <laughs> so I'm the, I'm, I'm the person. Yeah. You just don't, don't tell me if you tell me I have to, it, I'm, I will not move. I become a rock. If you tell me I can't, it don't, I will kill myself to do it. And I've, I mean, now I'm 49 years old it, with my body's like that of a, you know, a 70 year old man sometimes because of that, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know how I got on that or where I was going, where we were going. I don't know, I I, I, no, that's great. We didn't talk a bull, a bullfighting rodeo clown deputy sheriff. That's great. No, I, I want to ask you this though. <laughs> so when, when you were just talking about the, um, the constitution there and realizing that you were mm -hmm. uh taking part in practices that were in violation of people's constitutional rights and that you know 95 percent of the laws on the books are unconstitutional let me just ask you from your perspective if you take the the sheriff that you worked for for instance right that guy isn't mm -hmm. waking up every day uh looking in the mirror going ha ha I'm going to go out there and violate people's constitutional rights today. Uh, right. In your opinion, it's just that, that people don't understand, uh, because like you said, they not only haven't, they read, they haven't studied the constitution. You're not taught the constitution. If you went through the public indoctrination center school system, I think even a lot of the homeschool folks, I know when you get into this, they don't, they don't know how to teach, the Constitution, probably the most in-depth course that I've taken over the years, just uh, when I was interested more in the Constitution, probably 10, 12 years ago, was a one that Hillsdale College does. And I was sitting there kind of blown away saying to myself, why isn't this taught in kindergarten? You know, I mean, this should be the basis for what you're taught. But you think most of the people and the guys you work with, including yourself, you're not going out every morning looking to violate people's constitutional rights. It's just you're a acting within a system where no one ever learned it, nor do they understand it. Is that, is that how you see it? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it, that's the thing. It's hard. You know, even with everything that you start learning, when you start going down rabbit holes, one of the, the, the discussions that my wife and I have, she's not on board with me on everything, but she's like, how can, you know, you're just, how these people, are, are you saying these, you're saying these people are evil. I'm like, no, this is just like when I was a cop, I didn't, yeah, you're like, you're saying, I didn't go, okay, I get to go out there and violate people's rights. No, you think it's just the, 
the whole oh lifestyle is not the right word the whole environment the whole environment around it is you're out there serving and protecting people and that's all you think about but yet you're violating people's rights left and right because and and everybody says it. I I cringe. I watched you know uh, Brian high high impact flicks on YouTube, and they do a lot of that auditing and stuff. And they you know people videoing their stuff when they were in, in confrontations with cops, and it, it cr- makes me cringe. And I couldn't even watch it when I first started seeing them because I'm just like, oh my god, I saw myself standing there in uniform, and I'm saying I would say the same words. I'm just doing my job, and I'm like, that is that that is so lazy. It is so. It's 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 just wrong. I mean, how can we how, we how have we let ourselves get to the point where we're out there to protect and serve the public, and yet we don't know we we really truly don't know what we're doing. And when we come up, when you're in conversation with somebody, you're you're in some kind of conflict, or you're getting ready to arrest them, and they give a very valid argument against you. Inevitably, they we they would say. I'm just doing my job. And that's where it's at. You're doing your job, but you're, you're not. I was not. And I, I had a good heart. I, was, I thought I was doing good by people. And when, you know, I can't even, you know, talking to people that are doing that job, you can see those guys that actually have, that have that critical thinking skill in those areas. They, they literally, they just, they shut down. You know, that's when things would get violent sometimes. But, and that's when I, when I started realizing I can't violate people's rights anymore. I, I, I can't do this, mm-hmm. you know, but no, by, by and large, they don't, that's not what they're thinking. You know, they think they're doing good by people, you know, just like the doctors with the vaccine, just like the doctors with the viruses, they think they're doing good, but they are heavily invested in the knowledge they have. They've gone through college, you know, graduate school, police academy, you've been doing this job for so long, you have, been, you have put people into prison, and to think that you have done wrong is literally unbearable. Yeah, literally and unbearable. Exactly, and, and this is a very complex uh, discussion to have.